Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in the fight game. Hello, everyone. This is Charles Yao with Believe in the Fight Game on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team and every sport in L.A. and more. We believe in sports. Do you believe? How, how are things out there? Oh, nothing's going on r- <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> right. So, oh, what do you call it? So some restaurants are open, but only for takeout. And then, you know, the malls, there's nothing there. Basically, we're all still trapped at home. <laughs> right. And, and, and to be honest with you, man, like, I, I tell people here, like, yo, being in quarantine in a third world country, there's, it's different. Like, I can only imagine, like, the, the impoverished folks, how they're surviving. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. And then also, what do you call that? At least, you know, we have sometimes we, we can go online, you know, a lot of them can't. So you just, <laughs> you know, imagine that, right? <laughs> have you seen that uh, link on, on your Facebook timeline? There's like kids go to Taco Bell so they could just study at school so they can, so they're trying to cop the Wi-Fi from Taco Bell. How do you oh, yeah, see yeah. that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Super amazing. But bro, um, I, I think I, I reintroduced myself to you like four or five years ago and we were supposed to do an interview then. Lots happened, but uh, I'm so honored, bro, to have you on with me. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you so um, much. You know, just so you know, I, I, I go societal, I go technical, we can go martial culture. So to sh- reveal the layers of your personality. All right. Yeah. No problem. And, um, <laughs> You know, it's funny, like our generation, uh, there were like the brown Asians and then they're like yellow Asians, right? Uh, (laughs) right? So, so like Filipinos were like Southeast Asians, but at the same time, we have like this um, warlike defense system, you Mm -hmm. know, to us. We're we're very passive and welcoming and and you've said this before on several interviews, but... Mm -hmm. You know, if you fuck with us, it's like, dude, then boom, the, the, the switch yeah, happens. That's what it, yeah. now, now, you've promoted with Singaporeans, Japanese, you, you've, you've seen the gambit. Why do you think that, is that just a, an Asian thing or is that a Filipino thing? Well, I, I guess, well, more, more so a Filipino, well, an Asian thing first and foremost because we're timid by nature. Sure. We're not, we're not confrontational right away. So we tend to, you know, um, what's this? You know, uh, just flow with things. But then uh, after a while, like what you said, once that line is crossed, there's no coming back. So I've seen that from, all, from, from a lot of Asians, especially the Vietnamese, Japanese, you know. Once, once, there's, once that line's been crossed, boom, that's it. There's no, there's no pulling back. Right. I think we're, we're, we're one of the cultures that, well, if you look at the American culture, they can actually stand in front of each other like this and shout. 
right? And they're like for, for baseball games, you know, and normal thing when I studied there in the States, they can stand in front like this each, in front of each other and shout. Here, oh my gosh, once you shout, once the voice is raised, ah. Boom, <laughs> you know, there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the wait is finally over. Football is back and you might be at the game this year, but you can still be on the action at Bet Online. For me, since I'm a big Lakerhead and NBA fan, I totally go to bet online to make sure I bet on my favorite team, and it's Lakers all the way, baby. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. But do you feel, or if you witness this, because you've been through all the generations, you know, um, like with your newer students, like they're not even the millennials, the Gen Z people, are they mm-hmm. more relaxed compared to our time? Our time, it's like, hey, I don't think anything no more. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you looking at, huh? You know, exactly. but, but are, are the Gen Zers and maybe the younger millennials like cooler in the head? Like they don't care. Not that they don't care, but. They're more relaxed than we are? Yeah, they're more relaxed because they're more exposed. And then uh, I, I, I noticed that they're really, really nice. They're much nicer. I mean, they're not, they're not <laughs> like us, exactly. I mean, all of us during our time walked around like we had a chip on our shoulder, like 24-7. I mean, with, with them, what do you call it? They, they can just, you know, walk around, talk, and they actually talk it out, you know. It's, it's, it's different, and I think it's a good thing. So we don't have – I always thought it would get worse and worse, but actually got better. But, but do you feel a, a lot of that is because they're so distracted? Oh, my God, Instagram, 52 likes. Cool. Yes. <laughs> All right, Professor Alvin, thank you so much. I got 85 likes. Okay, back to drilling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, social media actually did that. Uh, social media actually forced even the older generation to start behaving. It wasn't like before we could know. You know, when, when cops would catch us or, you know, people of authority, you know, we'd, we'd abuse, oh, Dimakilala or whatever that kind of thing. You can't do that now because once they put you in social media, that's it. So a lot of us, you know, we, you know it, it made everybody have some sort of social responsibility as well. Right. But, but as, a, as a father, do, do you, did you see the separation between your older sons and now you have a baby daughter who's, dude, props to the Star Wars tributes. Oh yeah, thank you. That's thank like you. our generation right there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was young, I wanted to have a gun and a big barking dog with like a laser AK-47. Like <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? That was like yeah. our time, bro. That was like the mania. You know what I'm saying? So props to you, by the way. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, well, there's a big difference, yeah. Um, in my eldest, well, for my eldest son, you know, there were still these, you know, these little fights here and there. But for my younger sons, like everybody totally gets along. I mean, they have these, they have their little things in sports, but that's about it. I mean, everybody, you know, at the end of the day gets along. And it's funny because the parents are more involved now. It's not like before our parents, you know, my parents never watched, you know, my parents always supported me. But whenever I had a game or a fight or anything, they were never there. No, now when you you look at the soccer games, you look at the competitions. It's the parents who are all they're going go go <laughs> pushing their kids and everything. So you know, <laughs> there's more parental uh, what's this um, participation nowadays. Right, and, and and I think that that's a lot of learning from our time, right? 
You know, like sometimes we yearn for our parents, like, Hey, I'm going to get D's just so you can pay, pay attention to me. You know, I'm not going to get straight A's just so you can spank me so we can spend some time. Oh, by the way, I'm going to drink at 13 just so I can get your attention. You know what I'm saying? It's so our generation. I'm so relieved to talk to like someone, both Marshall historically and like our generation time of experience, you know, it's awesome. We, we, we grew up literally in the street. I mean, you know, my kids, if I, if I didn't tell them to go out, they'd all stay with their friends doing this. You know, I, we literally grew up in the street. What do you do? You go out in the street, you go out in the park, you, you go out, you know, you do things. Here, kids right now, when, when I go to like the kids' parties, they all sit down beside each other and they play, you know, Mobile Legends and all that stuff. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you should be out discovering the world. Like, like when, we were, when we were in a car, for example, we take a road trip. We didn't have anything else. We had to look outside, see the sights and everything. My kids, if I make them do that, it's like, it's like torture for them. <laughs> right. And, and, and um, uh, we have a mutual good friend, uh, Alvin and I, uh, Alan Sevilla, the late great Alan Sevilla, who just recently passed. Um, you know, like it, it's about blasting that right song, you know, getting tore up with some drinks and then, you know, just partying hard and, and going out and enjoying like the talk session in a vehicle, you know, <laughs> but, but, but hopping on that, you and I have a mutual good friend, uh, Alan Sevilla, the late past. Alan yes, Sevilla. Yes. Late, yeah. You yes. know, like, um, my first exposure to the party scene in Manila was like, he would have his twin turbo dual overhead cam vehicle living in Ayala Labang and we drink it up, you know, enjoy it, blast mm-hmm. the sounds and just be involved, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is good. Um, but part of, a lot of the reason why I want I wanted to do this interview with you too, Al, Alvin, because here in America they talk about jujitsu like oh self defense, but there's no other resource that I could talk to that could talk about street fighting as in as in like you know fisticuffs first. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can enlighten my audience about what Sarian is and the we'll philosophy do, we'll do. of the street fight because, mm-hmm. you know, in the Philippines, it's a third world country. So the training and the mindset's different. Yes, yes. I'll Please do that. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, l- how did you get into the mindset of that, that whole Sarian scene with Sir Bob and you okay. forming that group? and fighting system okay. well what what happened was um uh I, I grew up in a martial arts culture so everybody when i was growing up even when i was grade school everybody trained so they could fight it, was, it wasn't like people trained so they could join a competition like nowadays there was no there was no venue to showcase their skills so everybody basically just trained so they could fight other fraternities, you know, other gangs, everybody would just train so they could fight. And I said, wow, I got, I got to, if I don't train, I'm going to be one of the people they smack around. So, you know, I trained, I trained. And uh, when we were training though, I, I noticed that uh, there's some arts, there's some arts that, that uh, they address, they address the real street fights, but some basically assume about what's going to happen. And what attracted me to Sarian was it was founded by, you know, a real street fighter, somebody who's been there, done that, 
And of course, you want to listen to somebody who's, who's actually had real experience and not just real experience, a lot of experience as well. So that kind of thing. It would, it's, it's, hard, it's hard nowadays when you see martial arts instructors. They always say, oh, this is what will happen in a street fight. This is what will happen in a knife fight. But they've never been in that. And, you know, it's funny because uh, martial arts, the business of martial arts is all marketing. It's all marketing. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad, if you suck. I mean, I've seen Mundial Champions with zero students, but I've seen blue belts with like hundreds of students. So it's all marketing. So if you can merge both together with the marketing message and be totally legit, then you really have something. Now, when it comes to the mentality, um, a, a lot of people just don't realize, we just don't want to be bullied. So we can defend mm -hmm. ourselves. And it's, it isn't to attack. Right. Yes. <laughs> we know situations are going to come up where people are going to try and bully in a third world country. Yes. Right? So what was the intensity like of the training back then? Which, by the way, uh, one of your students, my grade school friend, Archie Lezatin, booked me a gig with Sir Bob. Oh, yeah. Archie, Back in yeah. the 90s. Early <laughs> wow. 90s. Okay. Well, okay. The intensity, I sorry. Okay, the, the intensity was like, like this. First and foremost, it's not, we don't do that kind of thing where, you know, you're taught, you know, just wait for it to happen, use the opponent's force against whatever. You know, if we see something's about to happen, you better strike first and you better strike, be the last one to strike. Uh, our training was, was ridiculous. Um, you know, it was, you know, when I say ridiculous, I mean, you know, I mean it in a good sense. Uh, we go inside, you know, we're taught how to fight right away. And then, um, Basically, our first session, you're already sparring already. And, uh, you know, we're taught how to gro groin kicks. We're taught pretty much everything. And then when we spar, you're allowed to have groin kicks. So, you know, I was pretty worried for a while. I thought I'd never have kids because uh, <laughs> the amount of times I got, <laughs> I got kicked, uh, thank God I have four now. But, uh, you know, it was really, really intense. And then um, what, what happened for my case was because I was a young fraternity leader as well. I was a skinny guy. They would call me Sarian Sarian, whatever. So, you know, the other frats, the other the other groups would always try to pick on me because I was, you know, the 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 thin guy. And uh, you know, I just had to keep, you know, keep fighting and fighting, also because of the fraternity. So, you know, I just had to prove myself that way. And then, you know, the story evolves from there. <laughs> right. And and a lot of people don't even know this. I just recently interviewed a, an MMA fighter from Mexico who's our age group. Mm -hmm. um, they had the same thing, bro, where it's like, oh, you're lighter skinned. So all the brown Mexicans didn't like them, you know, because you're <laughs> lighter true. skinned. So if yeah. they, they don't even know, like, dude, I could probably slam beers with these guys and hook up with chicks, but they judged you just because you're lighter skinned, you know? That was like mm -hmm. the effect. And is that still prominent today? Well, maybe today everybody's a little bit more open-minded because you have to remember mm. I was hanging out with the fraternity boys. Okay, our, our, our fraternity has, has members who are really, really rich and really, really poor. So there's, there's, no, there's no real divide there. And because they saw someone like me, hanging out with, you know, supposed to be, um, you know, the underprivileged and stuff, they're like, who the hell is that? Who does he think he is? Whatever, whatever. Sure. And then I had to always deal with that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, um, it made me stronger and it made me train even more because I knew that every time I'd go to Sarian training, I knew that maybe later on I'd have to use it. That's how bad it was before. And, and with, with the training with that, like I, I remember training when there's Sir Bob, I was so shocked. 
I must have been 17, 1993. Yeah, you know, and he's like, you know, well, you have your saliva, right? Then spit in their face and get them like two, three seconds to do this and you beat the shit out of them. Yeah, <laughs> that was the mentality. You, you smoke cigarettes? Okay, you got your lighter? Throw it at their face. You know? <laughs> what if you're with your mom and, and you feel the threat? You got to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> true, true. Right. That was the mentality before. I mean, we, that was ingrained in us like anything. And I'm very always thankful to Sir Bob because, you know, his stuff really basically really literally saved my life. And not just in one occasion, multiple, multiple, multiple occasions. And the mindset he gave me to deal with, you know, fighting people with knives, fighting people with sticks, fighting people with bats. I mean, I'm somebody who's been, you know, I've been shot, stabbed, beaten, you know, no, pretty much, you know, name it, it's happened to me. So, um, and I've survived. And it's because of the martial arts training and the mindset I was first given by from Sarian. And that's what evolved into everything else. Uh, any of those, um, if you're comfortable disclosing, any of those uh, stabs uh, you were completely unaware of? Or oh, within, yeah. Within confrontation well, already? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about the dumbest one. Okay. <laughs> Please enlighten Okay, there, all right. There, there, there is this guy, there's this big uh, foreigner, I, I forgot what nationality he was, some, some European nation, and um, he was picking on these little guys in a club. And then later on, the bouncers, because he was a huge, huge guy, he was pretty intimidating. Even the bouncers were having a problem with him. So one of the bouncers asks for my help. So I said, uh, okay, might as well. <laughs> so we're there. And then I asked him, hey, can you just chill out? And didn't want to chill out. He actually grabbed my neck like this. And he told me to fuck off, basically. So, um, so you know, I, I had to do my thing with him. And then I knocked him out. So when he was knocked out, I was like, instead of leaving, you know, instead of, instead of uh, leaving the, the scene, just going up and staying away, I, I started acting like a big man. Yeah, I knocked this guy out. I got a beer. <laughs> See, I knocked this guy out. You know what happened? This guy woke up broke a beer bottle and stabbed me in the back. And so, oh my God, what was that? I thought he punched me, so I just beat him up again. So this time he's asleep. So this time I really made sure he's not gonna get up. So after that, I went to the, the bar right beside, it was called, a, it was, the bar was called Cuisine. Sat down there, then all of a sudden I felt my back was really wet. I was like, wow, can I be sweating that much? Wow, when I did that, oh my God, my blood was gushing everywhere. So I had to go to the hospital, I didn't know. <laughs> so, you know, that's also an example. If you start believing in your own legend, that's when you're finished. So, you know, I was feeling myself too much. I didn't take care of the situation that well. And that's what happened. <laughs> There's also a pretty big legend inclusive to yourself and, and just like college students, uh, Taft Avenue, mm -hmm. right? And that's already changed because it's, you know, it's more friendlier, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the legend of, uh, of that... Esquinita, how do you say that in English? What is it like a small street? The, the, street, the street corner, right? The street corner, the right? Street corner, yeah. You know, that's where all the college students, you know, either if they wanted to ditch or have a good time or just go on lunch break, they would be there. But it's mm -hmm. also, you know, because the Philippines is a little bit light and easygoing, bars were established. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to be your story. It can be your observed story. Like maybe you can paint the picture of how hectic it was during those mm -hmm. times. Okay, so what would happen was, you know, uh, we were allowed for some reason, you know, I mean, I, for some reason, a lot of us would just 
go to lunch, get drunk, and then go back to school. For some reason, Perfect way to learn. teachers didn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, when you start drinking lunch, I'm like, fuck it, I'm not going to go back to class. So you're staying there drinking, hanging out with everybody. And then all the girls would also hang out there. So you're like, wow, why, why would I go back to class? Everybody's here. But then the problem is, like, if you're drinking from lunchtime onwards, everybody there is also drinking lunchtime onwards. And they're from different groups. And you know how different groups are when they get drunk. Oh, this guy's looking at me or... Maybe this guy's planning something. So what would usually happen was we see another group. Okay, first it's chill. Then later on, we see from four guys, they become eight guys. You know what? They're preparing for us. Yeah, you're right. A while ago, there are only four. But now they're eight. Okay, ready? Go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We just beat them up. I mean, <laughs> it used to be like that. It was crazy, crazy before. And um, things would escalate. Of course, after you beat them up, there's a circle that they try to come back and you try to come back. Sure. It would always escalate. So, um. When you beat them up, they come back with sometimes with knives, and they what they would they what they would do is they would pay off the pedicab boys outside to try to get us. And after that, we'd bring in our brats, take care of the pedicab boys, and the pedicab boys would say, "Okay, no problem." But then they would bring in other stuff. Then we'd have to bring in the other stuff. Um, it was really really crazy. I'll tell you this one story. Oh yeah, I can tell the story anyway. So um, this is this is guy's very very lucky. So there's one time we had a big fight and everything. Boom, 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 boom. And then when our group got, got a little bit of the upper hand, we were running after this one guy. So we beat him up and everything. So he ran. While he was running, the guy beside me had a pillbox. You guys know what a pillbox is, right? Sure. So, okay, so basically how they make it for people who don't know is they, what we do is we, they get the, the glass from light bulbs. They crush it because when that glass goes inside your skin, it's very hard hard to take out. When the dog tries to take it out, it bust, bursts into little particles like um, sand. And, and it, it spreads. Your, yeah, and it spreads. So it's really, really hard. So they put that with uh, gunpowder and sometimes very, very small nails. So what happened was, so after meeting this guy, this guy ran. And then the guy beside me decides who I don't know, but he was with our group, gets and throws the pillbox at him. It's like, oh my gosh. And then hit the guy's foot. Boom! And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> the guy was able to run away. I was like, whoo! <laughs> I was happy. Thank God. I was, actually, I was actually happy for the guy. I was like, oh my gosh. It's a good thing it didn't blow up. <laughs> wild, wild west. I mean, yeah, I know. That's how crazy it was before. <laughs> I, I'm glad you, you got to share some of that because I tell people, because I, you know, I lived in Manila uh, during my formative years up to age 12. So I understand a lot of that, but I missed it because I grew up here for the rest of the years and it really was like Narcos Netflix, you know, for yes. students. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like Narcos Netflix. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm just, every country has this story, but it needs to be heard because, you know, it, this is why you trained. Mm -hmm. This is why there true, was true. that sense of security when you came out of class because this happens during our time this happened during our time yeah when, when, and it, um, it was a it was an everyday thing <laughs> right and, and and i'm so happy like society has developed where i'm sure the stare down culture is a little bit easier as as we previously discussed you know kids are more easygoing um when 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 you were matriculating towards a yearn for jujitsu. Mm -hmm. um, did it feel like, oh, I have to completely 
dissolve myself from this since I had that fundamental training and I need to fully empty my cup just for jujitsu when he started training in BJJ. Okay. Let, let me tell you a story about jujitsu. So when I, when I saw jujitsu, I saw the Gracie and action tapes. I said, I got to go to the States and what, and you know, I got it from green, uh, let's just in green Hills. There's, there's a store there called squadron shop that sells all the bootleg videos. So by, basically they buy videos and they, they copy it and they sell the copy. So that's where I discovered the Gracie's. Right. So I had to go to the Gracie Academy. When I got Is this to the Gracie UFC, Academy, by the way, Alvin, uh, UFC one already started. Okay. All right. So when, when I got there, uh, I saw Hoist right away, Horian. I was like, wow, I saw the, you, know, you see them right away. And they're, they're always so accommodating. Hey, come in, come in. So I took the unlimited class. But I was taking the class. I noticed everything is so slow. Because when they teach you in Saturday, you got to go fast, hard, 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 hard. Sure. That kind of thing, right? So here, they were teaching, no, you have to go slow, my friend. You know, my friend. You know, you know how they talk, right? Totally. <laughs> so, so, you know. He said, go slow. I was like, why are we going so slow? Then later on, they would leave me with like purple belts, brown belts, who are very, very good, by the way. So I was like, what's this? I mean, this is too slow. And then they wouldn't allow us to spar. I was like, I want to fight. I want to fight. I want to show them I'm a good fighter. Then maybe we can exchange techniques. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to book a private. So I booked a private with Hoist. Booked a private with Hoist. I asked him, so I said, yes, this time I'm going, you know, I'm going to show him I'm a good fighter and we can exchange techniques, that kind of thing. So instead of hoist, a purple belt showed up. I was so disappointed. I was like, wow, why is it a purple belt? What's this guy going to show me? He's got a funny looking belt. You know, I was so Jeet Kune Do at that time. I had the Jeet Kune Do mentality, you know, no belts, no, no formal structure, whatever, whatever. So, you know, I told the purple belt, you know, there's just bar. Since, you know, in, my, in the back of my head, you're not going to teach me anything. And he kicked my ass about 14, 15 different ways and different times. So, ready, go, armbarred me. Ready, go, choked me. I said, no, maybe I'm just jet lagged. I have to go. I have to start again. He kicked my ass so many times. And after that, I was like, wow, I really have to learn this. And that was the time where I said, shit, let me put everything aside. Just like you said, put everything aside first and just you know, empty my cup and just do this. And that's how I discovered, that's how I went to jujitsu. <laughs> uh, with that purple belt, did you turn up the intensity, let's say by trying number five and you go, I'm going to fucking elbow you in the fucking face back. You know what I'm saying? You know, like that kind of temperament. You know what I'm saying? Dude, everything, everything. I put really? myself in the mindset, ah, oh, this guy tried to burn down my house. Oh! And it, it looks, I look so stupid. And after that, I saw him in the locker room and he told everybody, oh, this guy was kicking my ass the whole time. And then everyone's laughing. Oh! And I'm just there like this. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because, uh, because a lot of those uh, private sessions um, for, from people that I've interviewed, they've said like, you know, it, it's really your first time. It's deep waters, you know, it's deep, 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 deep waters. You don't have a snorkel, you snorkel. You don't have a, a, a breathing tank. You're done. It's a wrap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then at, at that point, what was it a case of trauma or just intuition and drive just to train? No, because after that, I was like, my gosh, I got to I gotta learn all of this. This is impossible. I thought like after, after that, I thought all purple belts were like Superman already. And I thought sure. all black belts were God. I mean, that's how good it was. I mean, I beat everybody back here. You know, I challenged all sorts of martial arts and everything. But when I got there, I was totally nothing, nothing. I was like the lowest, lowest, lowest. So I was like, wow, 
this is this is so good. I have to learn this. <laughs> was there any resentment to the past training? Because it's like, dude, I trained so hard. I fucked up people before. Now this guy okay. in a pajama and a purple belt is going to do this. <laughs> was there like, you know, uh, you know, resentment almost or like not regret or resentment, but like, God, I kind of wasted my time. No, no, no. I mean, I, I totally appreciate everything, but uh, it's, it's just that, you know, being a young, a young guy, you know, wanting to be the best and everything, wanting to be the, the strongest, trying to be the man on the block. And then after that, that happens to you. It was like, <laughs> it just, it was just so humbling, but then it, it, it was good in a, such a way because it got rid of my ego. The ego had to be totally crushed. And when it was tr crushed, I mean, that was it. That's when I said, I have to learn this, you know, no more ego. Um, and it's very hard, even in jujitsu sometimes. It's very, very hard to keep stepping on it as you go up. Because um, in jujitsu, a lot of people like, like me, um, you know, when you go in as a white belt, your ego gets stepped on and crushed and everything. But then again, it works both ways. It turns, some, turns you into a better person, but for some, it makes makes people hide their egos until they become purple belts, brown belts, black belts, and their ego begins to come out little by little. And you finally see who they are when they're black, but like, oh my gosh, this guy was a prick all along. He was just pretending to be humble, the fake nice, hey, what's up, my friend? Oh, that kind of thing. But then, you know, they're really they're really, you know. Um, be because they <laughs> could still be humbled, that's why they were humbled. Yes. <laughs> Now, um, much respect to Papa Hickson, but oh, yeah. in a street fight, you know, Hickson held his, he wasn't like a prototypical boxer, right? Like guard up. Mm -hmm. See, mm -hmm. He sometimes held his strong hand on his hip. Is yes. there a difference in a street fight punch versus a boxing punch? Uh, yes, actually, that's a, that's a good question. Okay. Um, a boxing punch is always the strongest, always the best, you know, especially in, in almost whatever environment. But that environment has to be when I'm facing you and we're, we're this way, okay? Now, what happens if somebody's here to my left at 45 degrees and he's striking me as well? I mean, of course, I can switch and go that and do this and do that, okay? But uh, sometimes... It, it constricts you. I mean, a lot of boxers say, of course, of course not, of course not, until they've, until they've been in a, in a real fight. So, for example, they stand their ground, they're punching with one guy in front, then some guy comes here right away, okay? That, of course, you would have to have the mentality of, you know, being able to fight multiple opponents. Now, when I say that, I don't mean, I don't mean just take on all three at the same time. I have that on my YouTube channel. I showed what to do, what, what my secrets were when I would fight multiple opponents, okay? So, um, the street fight punch is also, it's also da more dangerous because you never see it. You just feel it. There's so many ways. Hey, what's up? Boom. All of a sudden you get hit, right? Or they have this and they punch or they're scratching their head and they hit that kind of thing. Um, one of the most dangerous punches is the one you don't see. And that's what really sucks. When you get, when you get stunned for that half second, boom, and you can't react right away and you get, and you kept, keep getting it after and after. Oh, that's what really sucks. And that's the difference between, you know, a boxing punch and a, you know, a street fighting punch. Yeah, because uh, Hickson, um, he mentioned to me, it's like, no, they're two different things. They're two different things. One is 
one is uh, punishing with awareness and one is uh, sport, you know, so, so, so they like to say with mm -hmm. that generation. Um, now, it, it seems like there's, um, you're, you're going through this renaissance almost of you're now molding. So we've gone through the jujitsu part, you're now part of the five blades family and, or is it six blades? Six, yeah, blades, six blades, six blades, right? Oh, mm -hmm. Um, which San, Sanji, I think he just moved to Austin. Yes. Texas. So it, it's interesting because you know how you're asking me in the beginning, like how California is doing. Everyone's mm -hmm. leaving California, bro. Yeah. All, <laughs> I can just all, all the businesses are closed. And Texas is a little bit looser about that. Mm -hmm. um, but how is it, how is training at a halt in, in Manila right now or in the Philippines in general? Oh, there's no training here. Um, if, you, if you train, you have regular classes. IATF is going to come inside and actually can arrest you, detain you, fine you, and that kind of stuff. So what we do is we just close the gym and we train inside so they don't know what's happening. <laughs> right. No, that, but that's just, all happening we're just, here. We're just, yeah, we're just just two or three people at the most. Um, it's, it's nothing like it's a big group class like before. Because when, when we would train, um, if you see the pictures, we had like, you know, you know, 40 to 100 students at any time in the mat. But then now we can't do any of that. And of course, it's, it's also risky right now because um, a lot of people, I, I, I had a friend recently who passed away. This guy was totally fine. But when he went to the hospital, that's when he got pneumonia. I mean, he had, he had COVID. We could have, he could have just stayed home, but, you know, because he was scared, he went to the hospital and that's where he got pneumonia. And because of that, he died. So it's also scary. So, you know, um, we don't really know what it is and what's up, but we just, you know, just take precautions. Although my cousin in the States had COVID twice and he still twice. goes out without a mask twice. Yeah. What state is he in California? No, he's in Texas. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, The Fighter and the Kid. There's this guy named Brendan Schaub. He used to be an MMA fighter for UFC. Yeah, Brendan Schaub. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he got COVID when he was doing the stand-up set in Texas. Wow. Okay. But your cousin got COVID twice, huh? Twice, yeah. And then each time it only lasted like three days. Interesting. I just interviewed Mark Striegel. Um, oh, yeah, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, cool guy. Um, and he got COVID. Yeah, that that sucked though. For his, he was at his UFC debut. Then after that, that had to happen. Right, but, but then, I uh, think he's still fighting Norma Norma Gamedov. I do. Believe. Yeah, yeah, Norma. He's gonna fight uh, Khabib's brother, Norma Gedov. So that's gonna be a hard fight. But you know, anything can happen inside the cage. Now, now speaking so of like um, Khabib and the Norma Gamedov family. You know, the UK also had this issue with MMA where the wrestling was very weak. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm asking this even in a technical martial art or maybe in societal way. Why do you think wrestling isn't as prevalent in Manila? Is it because there's a fucking legare or a bolo blade and there's no wrestling here? I'm just going to kill you. Or, you know what I'm saying? Maybe mm -hmm. boom, I'm just going to, you know. Mm -hmm. Why do you think wrestling, India is so close? Mm -hmm. India, the godfather okay. of all martial arts you know i mean why do you think right. grappling wasn't well, okay well well for wrestling itself was um when wrestling first started here in the philippines the first head of wrestling was a decent decent person 
you know, it, well, the sports programs here in the Philippines, uh, before, especially before, were always, always racked with corruption. So the first, the first head of wrestling was a really, really good guy. But then everybody that everybody that came in would just would scam the place, you know. Would sometimes some people would molest the wrestlers, and they would, you know, they would just keep it in a small community, so nobody could, you know, could check and see what they were doing. They would make, you know, the wrestling program since it's funded by the government, their own little milking cow. So this is in the seventies, we Alvin. Uh, sorry, seventies, uh, eighties, and nineties. Okay, sorry. So, when, 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 when I used to train wrestling here, uh, they would not, uh, they, after a while, they said, you know what, all those that do jujitsu also cannot train us. So it's like, why? Because uh, we don't want. <laughs> so it's like, anyway, so we had to change all of that. It was so hard. So we, we actually put in a wrestling head who we thought would be really, really good. And he was worse than all of them. My gosh, this guy, this guy would ask, ask for something like, millions of pesos so that our team would train in Iran, for example. We're, we're going to be training in Iran for four months. But the thing is, they would only really train there for one month. He would pocket all the three months, that kind of thing. So it really, really hurt. It really, really hurt the programs. So finally, we kicked everybody out. And then we were able to start anew. Uh, we now actually have more than 50 clubs in wrestling. It's picked up. We had uh, more than... 300 competitors in our last nationals for wrestling. So it's beginning to start now. It's beginning to start, but slowly. We, the Philippines actually got the SEA game, the SEA championship record. We had 35 golds. We, we, this is going against Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, uh, Singapore. You know, It finally picked up from there. And I, I hope it continues that way because this is a sport that we can excel in because you don't have to be big. You don't have to be, you just have to have a good, strong mindset and train. There's no secret. It's not like basketball here in the Philippines. Everybody likes basketball, but you know, we're just too small. <laughs> right. We're five ten and under, you know, exactly. <laughs> like here, five ten, you're already a center sometimes in the other leagues. Right. <laughs> right. I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> Right? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Especially our time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, seven. Wow. I'm 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 good, man. Yeah. You know? So like, Right, right, right. <laughs> so you're you're the president of a wrestling association in the Philippines, right? Yes, yes, right now. Oh my gosh, what I had to go through. You know, the last Sea Games, uh, they actually took wrestling out. But so by I the way, to, for the listening and viewing audience, when Alvin says what I had to go through, the, the, the third world red tape is like biblical. And then aside from the Bibles, make it an encyclopedia set of red tape. It's yeah. heavy. That one statement may seem light because Alvin got it done, but <laughs> the hoops. Oh, the hoops. The anguish. Exactly. The anguish, right? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just I wanted to emphasize the the tenuous no, no. and how hard you had to bust ass. No. Yes, no done. problem at all. <laughs> Can you imagine this? We were actually already in the states. We were already actually in the states, uh -oh. and then um, we were training for the Sea Games, and then they tell us, "Well, wrestling is out of the Sea Games." What? Can you imagine that? So, because what happened was I had the grappling because uh, under UWW there are grappling rules. Okay, so we have a grappling event. We have a freestyle and Greco-Roman event also. So the freestyle and Greco-Roman guys were in Yakucha, Russia. So the grappling guys were in the U.S. 
so we separated the teams. So when they were all training, so first they said, okay, we're taking out the grappling events. This, is, this was sure goals for the Philippines, by the way. We're taking out the grappling events. So everybody in the States were all crying, oh, I was looking forward to this. We're all training so hard. As in, we went to something like, uh, something like, what is it? 12 gyms in the US and we competed in every state every weekend we would drive like ridiculous you know because we didn't have enough budget we were given like $15 a day to live on and that's just oh. one meal for me so have a meal <laughs> so, yeah so so you just imagine we had to go through and then after they said okay you guys are out of the sea game so everybody was crying and everything so later on I told the guys in Russia don't worry don't worry wrestling will stay and after that Sorry, wrestling's taken out. So everybody in Russia was crying. So that's what I had to deal with. So, you know, I had to come back here right away, fix things. It was very hard, very hard. My gosh. <sighs> um, here, when you're in sports, it's worse than, it's worse than being a politician. Because, like, every day, every day, there's always some idiot who's trying to get in your way for some reason. Because a lot of people here who aren't supposed to be in sports or never had a position in their life are there. So you have to deal with their egos, their, their agenda and everything. And it's never, never for the country. It's only for themselves. <laughs> right. And, and at least there's folks like you who are still trying to purvey the art. And I'm sure there's still more hoopla's you got to go through. But it's uh, yeah. cool that you're doing that, man. Because I you. think we could pump out a lot of better fighters. You know, mm -hmm. we're we're derived from proto-Malaysian, proto-Indonesians, and we have that hot-tempered blood. And if people like you don't do that, you know, it's not going to happen. Who's going to be yeah. able to pummel through? Um, Thank you. I'm curious. This is more a personal, selfish question. Since you've been, you know, the lead promoter in Southeast Asia with URCC, how come you never got into the boxing game, boxing promotion game? Okay, I actually tried getting to the boxing. I was thinking about it. I was taking care of uh, a boxer before. Now, this guy was was only 21 years old, and he already fought in something like seven countries already. He was supposed to be the next big thing. I was promoting him and everything. And then, um, you know, uh, life decided, his life decided to go in a downward spiral where he started, you know, hanging, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, okay. Uh, let me just say what happened. Um, so there's no misinterpretations. Sure. All right. So he started, he, started, he started doing drugs. Okay. So he started going down. And then it wasn't just any drugs. He's taking Shabu. So when you take Shabu, I mean, you know, it's, you're start, that's it. It's just like crystal meth. So you're going to start going down. And from that, he also had a wife. His wife was um, part of the Philippine team in, um, in another martial art. And she would, she would kick his ass. I mean, this guy would be untouched and sparring. But when I'd see him the next day, his eye would be shut. He'd have bruises here. I'd go, what the fuck just happened to you? And after he said, oh, my wife kicked my ass last night. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and dude, if you really kick his ass, this guy's eyes would be shut. He'd have bruises here. And this guy is like one of the best boxers. We thought he would be the next Manny Pacquiao. So... Anyway, so we started, we would promote him and everything. But then, um, you know, uh, in boxing here, there's, there's um, how do you say it? There's a lot of other people who are entrenched already that, uh, you know, sometimes make it easier, sometimes make it harder. And, you know, I thought it was just wasn't worth my time anymore because um, 
know, I had mixed martial arts, I had jujitsu, I had other things to deal with. And all of that has their own politics. I didn't want to just go into another one and, you know, work with all the politics there. I mean, that's the problem here. Everyone's a politician, but <laughs> that's why nothing gets done. <laughs> sure. But, but, but you know what, man? There's folks like James Deacon, you know, like... Oh, James, yeah. Yeah, he's like such a purveyor for the Philippine culture. It's amazing we got a guy like that on our side. Yeah. Trying James to, like, promote positivity and mm -hmm. uplift who we are as a people, you know? Mm -hmm. James is really good. Yeah, very good guy. Very good guy. You know, we should have, exactly, we should have more, more people like him. And when he talks, at least people are starting to listen. Right. And I think the, the important thing too is uh, when a couple of years back, um, I, I would visit like the, all, all the teams, like Team Atos, Team Checkmat, DefTac. I, I went to the Alabang one, um, Westgate. Yeah, when Westgate, yeah. Right. Um, and it seems like people are a little bit, easier you know they're like okay you're from that team cool 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 but you know there wasn't that this haggard garish like gruffy feeling of like yeah fuck you you know so yeah. <laughs> i'm glad you know people are accepting like hey man i just can't train there because i'm from the north and you guys are in the south you know um are, are you uh, maybe since I'll, I'll make you a societal conduit too, like us people from the South, right? Cause I grew up in BF homes. We'll mm -hmm. attend the funeral wearing basketball shorts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> true, true. And then, and then when, when someone from the North goes here, you know, he's from the North. Oh, he's wearing jeans in, in, in the town center. He's from the North. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and even in party culture with, within the context of respect, you know, the people from the South, we were like the weed heads. You know, everyone from yes. Makati, Green Hills, Quezon City, oh, you guys are the Shabu, you guys are the, the white type. powder people. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It, it's interesting how that dynamic took place. People from the uh -huh. South, always chill. Even here in California, San Diego, chill, dude, just relax. Um, what keeps you in the southern part of the Philippines? Is it just that? Is that in, in your metabolism to be cool out? Oh, yeah, I'm Everything is much more relaxed here. I like it that people are easygoing. Because as soon as you go to the north, you see the traffic and everything. Everyone's so aggressive, you know. Everybody wants to fight right away. Here, every, everybody's more relaxed. And, and I like that. And I like exactly what you said. The shorts. We wear shorts and everything. We're chill. We're not really... There, there's not that much of a pissing contest here, you know. But um, well, it's interesting you, you said that about, about the weed and, and the shabu because that's still pretty much uh, accurate until now. The, same. The, only difference, the only difference now, though, is it's always snowing in the south and in the north. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, even the food culture, um, uh, as I mentioned, me and Alvin have a mutually good friend, Alan. He took me to Mangraul's. Oh, yeah, okay. Which is like, um, how how would you say that? It, what's the Japanese like yakitori? Like uh, barbecue sticks, you know, yeah. uh, for, for the listening and viewing audience, you know, um, it's where late at night people grab a shit ton of like like me and me and Alan would consume fifty sticks and like two pitchers <laughs> of beer and talk all night. Yeah. We'll talk about George St. Pierre to Jessica Alba. You know what I'm saying? It's almost its own subculture to Filipinos, which I love. Being from the southern part of um, Alabang, Paranaque, BF Homes. I, I love that, man. It's so cool out, dude. 
Yeah, I know. My, I, I, it's the same thing, even until now. If you, well, before the pandemic, if you go to BF Homes, you know, you see this one whole street there, and it's all bars, right? And that's where we hang on. Everyone's just there wearing shorts, still the same. No, no one's all dressed up. When you know when someone's from outside because they're all dressed up, you're like, why are you all dressed up? Oh, he's not from here. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, we, I, we used to live at 240 Aguirre and there used to be a Sisig house. Um, you know what? That's, that, that's crazy because I used to live in Aguirre Ave also. Yeah, my, my mom moved to Pitong Daan. Um, okay. Right. So it's right across from Baliwag. We're all, all getting Nietzsche for the American audience right now. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah it, it, it's such a cozy culture. Mm-hmm. How did your wife adjust to it? Was she a, a Southern, a, a, well, a Saudi already? No, she was a Makati girl. Mm. Was, there, was there a heavy adjustment? Well, well Makati's the middle. So it wasn't that much of an adjustment. And, and uh, before that, before all of this, uh, she was always here anyway. So finally, when you know, we were all here in Alabang, she, she adjusted really well, which, is, which I'm thankful for. Very, very thankful for. <laughs> right, because, you know, happy wife. And then if she's a BGC head, uh, you know, or if she's, you're, you may have to move, you know, up down. Yeah, yeah. That's a different true, case, true. which I love too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, I like it there too, but I, I could never live there, though. I mean, if I lived in BGC, oh, my God. Probably be drunk 24-7. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the South. I'll be back in eight hours. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to have ramen at Yushoken. I'll be back in eight hours, babe. I'll see you later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> eight Sapporos later. <laughs> babe, I'm going to Uber because... I love it out here. <laughs> oh man, we're getting too niche now for the audience, but yeah, yeah, true, true. But but yeah, um, but but one thing I do I, I do appreciate about like Filipino fighters, um, do, do you ever feel like there was a need to go back to FMA Filipino martial arts because I feel like you're going through this renaissance with FMA right now the street base but also weaponry base which i feel like people need that with all the stabbings in the uk all this mm-hmm. antifa bullshit going on in the u.s you know people yes. using both blunt and edged weapons did that, that, that kind of like how like a wolf from a distance and you go you know what i gotta refeature this how did that come about Okay, um, I've always wanted to teach knife fighting openly here in the Philippines. When I, when I first taught it, I did a seminar, okay, there's about 20 people. Now, because of that seminar, though, I, uh, there were four stabbings after that, because apparently the people who attended that, <laughs> seriously. Filipinos, fucking teach them how to stab someone and stab someone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Oh shit. Sorry. No, it's okay, it's okay. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you know how it is here. So, you know, I, I after that I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna teach this to the military. So I was teaching the US Navy SEALs, they would fly me there. Um I taught the U.S. Marines, taught, you know, the Philippine military units and stuff. So I just kept it there. But then 
after a while, you know, I, I saw, you know, as you, you, you search in YouTube and stuff and you see a lot of the, these people saying, oh, this is what will happen. This is what will happen. And then you know exactly that you know exactly what's going to happen to those people who learn under those people because these people pretty much don't know what they're talking about. And I think now more than ever, because of what's happening in the U.S. and around the world, uh, people really have to know how to defend themselves. Because if not, I mean, what's going to happen to you? You can't call 911. And, you know, you know it just even, even if the U.S. has the most advanced response unit for units for emergency, it still takes a good 5 to 15 minutes. And a lot's going to happen by 5 to 15 minutes, especially with a bladed weapon. So I've been showing people recently, but I, but I really really make sure that I, uh, I vet my students. I have to make sure that these are, you know, good people, not people who are just going to go out and do it. Um, I'm going to be teaching this, a lot of this stuff online, but I'm going to have to make sure that we have some sort of protocols to follow before I accept people as my students or else it's going to be bad karma for me. <laughs> you know, I some teach some serial killer stuff, right? So, sure. Um, I, I, I really, this, this is something I've been, you know, learning and doing for a lifetime and these are the things that kept me alive and you know I, I want to share this but I want to make sure that only the right people are learning this because you know not for anything but because this in the wrong hands is really really deadly because it, it's just it's just that way I and I'm not saying I have you know the, the secret or anything these are techniques that are been passed down from the older generations to my generation but I have tested them and been in those situations myself so I can you know really speak from experience so so there <laughs> do you subscribe to the notion or, or philosophy where you need to learn how to use this to defend yourself uh, yes okay the first thing the first thing in a street fight everybody has to work has to realize is the reason why I teach the knife first or um, edge weapon awareness is because if you come inside with the mindset okay I'm going to just punch him, kick him, elbow him, take him down, mount him, and whatever. Okay. All it takes is for, for one guy to have, you know, an edge weapon that you don't see. Then may, you might be, take, be able to take him down, boom. But after a few seconds, you're dead. And you're like, why did I die? Because you, you just got knifed by a blade that you never saw and you never even, you know, considered. So these are the things that you have to know about. You have to be aware about because knife fighters, the real ones, you never see, you never see, you never see the blade. You never see the blade. You only feel it. And after that, all of a sudden you're getting weak and you don't know why. So these are the things that you have to understand and have to be, you know, have to be aware of. And I can't emphasize enough how important this is for self-defense. And, you know, I really, really cringe all the time when I see self-defense instructors. I was like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Because I, I, I pity the people who, who they teach because they go out thinking, oh, if this happens, if someone knifes me, I'm just going to do this, do that, do this. It's like, wow, you're, you're going to get you're going to get a lot of holes in you afterwards. So that's that kind of thing. So we came up with um, we came up with our uh, with our art. It's, it's just a name, actually. It's called Calia Tactico or street technical, you know, to take, being technical in fighting for the streets. Because, I, you know, from my jiu-jitsu influence, you know, you're always trying to be technical. You're always looking for the easiest way, you know, easiest uh, way to, you know, 
control, submit, escape. So we're doing the same thing, exactly the same mentality, but using FMA techniques that I've been through. And I made a very, very easy to follow curriculum. So every, anybody can do it. So after like a few months, you'll be able to pretty much handle yourself. <laughs> do, do they get to spar also? Knife spar? Yes. Or is it, okay. or is it all mainly on the self-defense aspect okay. of empty hand? All right. It's, it's, um, it's funny that you asked me that because a lot of self-defense classes don't do sparring, if you notice, right? Sure. So, so what we do is we do simulations. Okay, not exactly sparring. We do simulations. Now, if you want to do mastery, then there's another level. The first part is we teach you and train you because in martial arts, I think there's always four steps. There's learning, training, mastering, and making it functional. The tr learning training is when you're training it. The mastering is when you can actually teach it. But to make sure that it becomes part of you, you have to make it functional. And functional only happens from live drills, live sparring, or actual, you know, actual instances. So once you go through that, so that's the way, that's the way we teach you. Now, after we, we've taught you that way, if you want to go mastery, you go situ more and more situational sparring. Then later on, the last part is the actual sparring, sparring, where we really go balls to the wall. That's not for everybody, but um, with the first two levels, I can assure and guarantee, you know, you'll be able to, you know, hold your own, defend yourself, and defend your family. What's, out of all the arts, is it still, it seems like for me, the math for grappling and jujitsu has the longest learning curve. <laughs> it, it, do you still feel that? Or do you feel that? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, every, I, I thought when I was, purple belt when i get to a black belt i'm going to be so good so super and everything and then oh that'll be it as soon as i got to the black belt i realized that you know what this is just the beginning now oh, that i understand say that. Just, oh, it's amazing yeah <laughs> they do right because um now that you've you know now that you got the black belt it means that you now you understand jujitsu now you understand the principles now you understand how to learn now you can really learn so interesting so you can just imagine when I was a black belt, you know, I was going to different gyms and clubs, you know, pretty much doing re really, really well. And all of a sudden I walk in Saulo's gym. In Saulo's gym, that time there was the Mundial's training. Lovato was there, Rafael Lovato, um, Sanjay Ribeiro, Cron Gracie was there, uh, Zach Maxwell, Hickson was there, Galvao was actually there also, Letitia Ribeiro was there, Fredson Alves, Hedges Lebre, Hoyler was there. The super friends. So, everybody so i was like okay yeah maybe i can hang with these guys oh my god <laughs> i got smashed in every role every role everybody smashed me and that was like wow and that was the time where okay now i really have to learn again yeah and damien Maya was also there as well jago sanchez was there as well so those were the kinds of people that you were rolling with every day <laughs> wow this is at uh, sanji's gym sal and sanji's gym in san diego yeah. at that time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they when their gym was still new, so that I basically got thrown into the fire. And you know, if not, if you don't get yourself good right away, you're gonna get spanked. <laughs> it was crazy though. Even just breaking grip drills with them, it was like crazy because there's no way you're gonna break the grip of Sanjay if he grab, grabs you. Like breaking grips, like what the hell? How come it's not going up? <laughs> right. And you have Lovato so long, so big. So you know, that was the experience. Is is the leg lock game being explored a lot in the Philippines? Yes. Okay. The one of the the reasons why 
the Philippines, I, I think, in my opinion, a lot of Filipinos here don't really, really excel in the international, um, are having a hard time excel. It's because whatever they see on YouTube, they start copying as white belts. So as white belts, they see, you know, they see the barren balls and they try the barren balls right away, but they don't even know how to do the close guard. They don't even know how to do the, the basic stuff. They don't have any fundamentals. So right now, it's the same thing. You see blue belts say, oh, you know what? I'll just, uh, I'll just forego passing. I'll do whatever. I'll just do the Gordon Ryan uh, leg locks. I'll just do the saddle and everything like that. But the thing is, they have to come up with a foundation first before they can do that. And, uh, you know, people like, people like uh, Gordon Ryan, you know, these guys really, really paid their juice you know, training, you know, with John Donaher, and, and, you know, uh, these guys are like the, the Superman who really, really train and they, they don't do anything else but train. And what people here have to realize is that's what you got to do. There's no secret. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I know I've taken a lot of your time. I'm hoping yeah, I could borrow you no, for no, five no, more minutes. No, not at all. 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 Cool. This is awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Um, th there's, there's myth and legend about, you know, post, um, well, maybe I'll let you paint the picture. So one of your black belts, I think he was still a purple belt at that time. He was a referee. And then there's a fighter that trying to get a tussle with him. And then you hop into the ring and choke the motherfucker out. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could recount that, but there's also, I, I need you to confirm. There was an Igorot tribe that came mm -hmm. up to you and said, where is this guy? Because we're going to fucking behead this piece of shit. So maybe, maybe <laughs> you can set up the story with what happened with the referee. Well, what, what's the name of, um, I think for friends on Facebook. You're, the, yeah, the, ref, the referee's name is Joey Lepitan. Joey Lepitan, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah we're friends. Maybe you can start off with, with the story with, with, with that incident and then close with the uh, Igorots. Okay. Well, well, Jabari, Jabari, Razi Jabari is an Iranian fighter. This guy, you know, I, I, I got along with him. The problem is, you know, this guy just always wanted to fight. You know, get into street fights here, you get in trouble with the law, you know. And uh, when he got up to Baguio, you know, everybody was very accommodating. I've been there so many times, you know, with all the clubs there as well. We've had so many URCC events and everybody is so accommodating and so nice. So... I don't know what he did was he managed to piss off everybody in the production crew in the pre weigh ins and the weigh ins. Everyone's like, who's that guy? That Iranian so arrogant. He's so arrogant. Everyone's so pissed off at him. I go, just, it's okay. He's just here to fight. Don't worry about it. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll be out of here soon. So turns out he had about four consecutive losses or three consecutive losses in the game. The amusement board says, if you lose one more, you can never fight the Philippines because it's dangerous for you. We have to take out your license. So, Comes to fight, he fights Honorio Banario, you know, beats him up. And after that, he tapped. After he tapped, the referee Joey goes, stop, 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 you tapped, right? And he goes, no, I didn't tap. Okay, go ahead. So Honorio beats him up again. And this time, even if he's tapping, Honorio's still going there just to make sure that, you know, everybody sees him tapping. Okay, and that was it. So as soon as the fight ends, uh, Joey goes, okay, you got to stand up, you got to stand up. Because, you know, I have to raise, you know, put, put both, of the, both of the fighters here so I can raise Honorio's hand. And he didn't want to. He goes, come on, you got you to get up. You got to get up. Okay, finally gets up. And as soon as he raised uh, Honorio's hand, Jabari said, yes, said something to Joey. He said, it's like, fuck you or something. So Joey said, what, what did you say? And after that, Jabari hits him in the face. Boom, this way. Now, Joey is my, my fraternity brother. 
also he's my student and everything and sometimes i forget where i am maybe it's because of instinct because i'm in so much trouble so i you know it's just you know an instinct thing i totally forgot i was a promoter so i walk inside i got you know and I, I get jabari and I start choking his ass so i choked him by the way he had the hairiest back in the world my gosh he was like sweaty and hairy <laughs> Yeah, I was like, whoa. I was like, oh my gosh, thank God I never have to fight this guy. So <laughs> it, was like, it was like carpet. It was like a car, it was like a wolf, literally, literally a wolf. I was choking him out and I felt him go limp. And everybody got in, they, they took him off, peeled him off. As soon as they were carrying him out, bringing him out back to the dugout, there was an old man there or something like that that he kicked. And turns out this guy is something like well, in in Baguio, there 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 are some parts in Baguio that are still run by the tribes. They're not run by you know the police and the government and everything. Give them leeway to do their own stuff. And this guy apparently was one of them. So he kicked him. Then oh, then all of a sudden there's this group of people stood up. Oh, you kicked our chief or whatever. It's like. Uh, yeah, yeah, but don't worry about it. We're gonna we're gonna take care of it. No, 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 no. We're gonna cut his head off. We're gonna cut his head off. And you know me, that was my event. So I didn't want to find out if it was real or not. If they were gonna cut his head off, imagine I have an event. Okay, promoter goes in, chokes the guy out after the guy beats up the referee, <laughs> and the tribe cuts his head off outside. I mean, <laughs> so I didn't want to have that. So we we brought him outside, and we couldn't even put him in any hotel in Baguio. So we had to call the special action force police. We put him in. We put him there, and they, discord, they escorted him all the way out of Baguio, all the way down to the mountain, and all the way out because there was no way he would be able to sleep in anywhere, anywhere in Baguio. They would go in his hotel and just. <laughs> and, and that that's owed to that 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 mentality that subcultures even within the Philippines. That's what they have, right? It, it's a big moral respect thing that yes. Filipinos hold dearly till this day, right? Or is that yes. like ego you feel? Yeah, no, no, no. It's actually, it's just, just, it's the respect they had for that certain person. I mean, when that person got hit, the way they, the way they were explaining to me, it's like, you, you burned our house, that kind of thing. The way when they were explaining to me what they're going to do to Jabari, you burned our house. How could you let this happen? I'm gonna kill this guy. They, they, it was like they were really, really hurt. I guess there's a you know there's a hierarchy of respect, and you sure. know I respect that, but I just didn't want the guy's head cut off in my event. I mean, <laughs> imagine like Dana White choking out a fighter, and then someone in Las Vegas is threatening to behead someone. Exactly right. <laughs> That's all gonna be in the news on a one sheet and paper. That's exactly. nuts, man. <laughs> and and it seems like to me um with with Baguio which um you know one one championship is barely getting noticed here in the US how much do you feel a lot of like the success of team Lakai has to do with staying in Baguio like i'm always curious like why wouldn't you want to go to Manila where the technology is there the the training partners are more vast why do you think from your observation they stay in baguio actually they have the better idea because in manila there's too many distractions you go outside mm. the gym here there's the bar there's your friends like edward for example 
um, just comes out of his house. He just walks. He just walks to the training area. Walks through his work. It's just there. I mean, there's not that many distractions. The air's healthier. You have the mountain air. Here, I mean, it's very hard to run without the pollution. Of course, when, before the pandemic, I mean, now's the time to run around. But back then, here, my greatest problem here with my fighters, jujitsu guys, and everything, is it's so much fun here. There's sure. always, you know, like like being in the south. Also, the same. I have my gym there. Even when I'm training fighters. The problem for me is watching them. I mean, a lot of people should have that discipline, but the problem is we're, you know, we have so many family members. We're always so close that everybody has to see each other. So that kind of thing, that kind of distraction here. So if I would have my way, I'd isolate them in a place like Bagi if they really want them to do really well. It's very, very hard here. There's a lot of distractions. Like even, even in the, in the, um, where all of our national athletes train. It's the, you know, in PSC, we, we have the Rizal, Rizal, Memorial, Rizal Memorial. As soon as you step out, there's so many clubs, there's so many bars, there's so many restaurants, there's so many things to do. So, you know, um, that kind of thing for an athlete isn't really, a, you know, a healthy environment. It has to be, you, you, you'll have to be lucky to get an athlete who has, you know, that self-discipline that, you know, that drive to just do well. And I've been fortunate to have one, to have a lot of athletes like that, but, the problem is there's always that temptation. So that's the reason why they stay in Baguio. It's, it's much, much better there. Does, does that go across the board for economic um, stability? Like, like, in other words, like with Manny Pacquiao, right? You know, he, come, he comes from nothing. So it's mm-hmm. easier for him to stay disciplined. But from what you're telling me, it sounds like rich, poor, middle class, lower class, upper class, that, that seems to be a disciplinary issue across the board. Yes. And then also a lot of, a lot of people here are not used to delayed gratification. They have that mindset, you know, if I don't get paid now, then forget it. Cause you know, if you're going to be a fighter, you're going to have to work for nothing until you get up there. Okay. It's sure. only when you're here, when you start earning money, because a lot of people think, especially here in the URCC, I've had guys, you know, win about four fights and they think they're Conor McGregor already. And, you know, <laughs> they start blowing their money. They start, you know, drinking. They start having too much fun, and that's it. Um, I had a fighter before. I paid him 100,000 pesos. Well, I mean, it's not much for, you know, for American standards. But here, that's quite a lot. Sure. And this guy spent 100,000 pesos in two hours after he fought. So I was like, what? And I mean, I'm like, why? <laughs> you know? So that kind of thing. So, you know. Um, we have to deal with that because it's the, the culture again. Um, delayed gratification and you know being a fighter is something that's you know very very few people can really really excel in. Even if you're already a fighter, you already have what it takes. But if your work ethic is you know unbalanced or you don't have that proper focus where you just do this, you know, you won't make it. <laughs> and that's what people have to know here. Yeah, and, and I think, which is why there's a lot of expats that move to the Philippines, because it can be both respectful, a paradise, you know, I mean, too much information. But if I go to uh, Binondo before I go on a food trip, before I get stoned, I'm going to get jerked off somewhere in Paranaque first. Then I smoke, smoke, smoke some weed under ride over, and then I go to three, four restaurants. Yes, exactly. You know, it's, that's, it's, a that's a magnificent day. <laughs> you know and that could be like a typical you're off on friday and this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna head home by 3 p.m because i don't want to hit the traffic 
You started at yeah. 9 a.m. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why there are a lot of expats here. They don't want to leave. <laughs> as soon as they get here, okay, that's it. I'm here. <laughs> do, and do you find that also way. like in Cebu and the other regions? Uh, there's Luzon, besides Mindanao, for the listening audience and American audience. So three major islands, though I think we have 7,100 small islands in total. Yeah, 7,150 or something like that. Sure. Do, do you <laughs> find that regionally the same? It, it's a discipline issue too? Okay, you know what? Uh, I've noticed that the people in the Visayas region and uh, the Mindanao region are, are more hardworking than the ones in Manila. Interesting. L less, less, less BS, and they're just hardworking. And, um, you know, recently, I've noticed the people in the Visayas region actually speak English better than the ones in Metro Manila. Right, because there's a, there's a slang called, I just learned this like 10 years ago, Joa, Joa. Joa. <laughs> Joa, right? You know, and that becomes yeah. like their, their method of communication and you sound like a fuckhead, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And they think it's like something that's cool, but if you go to, if you go to Bacolod, Cebu, uh, Davao, uh, Iloilo, street kids can speak straight English well, really well. Uh, that's, that's just in my experience. Right. Way better uh, than here, though. Here, here, if you talk to a street kid, I don't know that. That's dollar. Jinky <laughs> 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 Yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, totally. Well, man, I've taken a lot of your time, bro. This is no problem, I, I feel no problem like at all. I had so much fun. Alvin, you need your own pod. Like, like you need like your own NPR series where you can pre-produce and just lay out your stories for fighters. And man, even behind the scenes, you need to, you need like this, whether if it's in a book or in an audio format, so it's consumable in traffic. Cause there's a lot that you could share that you've been through. I mean, just the bullshit of being shot, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you're a different person now. <laughs> From then, you uh, know? Yeah. Well, everything, everything bad that happened to me, let's say, for example, when I got shot, everybody's saying, oh, that must have been so traumatizing and everything, you know? It's weird because I was, after a while, I was actually almost glad that it happened because I saw who my real friends were and who mattered the most to me. When I saw the people, who, you know, who stood by me, because when, when I got shot, a lot of people were like, oh, shit, I can't go near that guy. It's too dangerous. I'm going to get fucked up or whatever. I don't want to get shot like him. But then, you know, I saw who, who stayed with me and who was with me and who was supporting me the whole way. And I, 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 can't, I can't thank those guys enough. And they're still with me like 27 years later. I mean, you know, you know and that kind of thing. So everything bad that happened to me um, turned out to be something good. That's awesome, man. Um, if you had two ways to fix the Philippines, what would be the two aspects you would fix? <laughs> I know, I know it's heavy. It's heavy. You laugh, but it's heavy, right? You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it, like, I feel like every Filipino, they're, they're trying, even if they're, if they weren't born and raised in the Philippines, there, there's something, there's a, there's layers of pride that they want to uplift the Filipino culture in everything they do, you know? But, but if you had well, a chance, maybe one or two things, what, what would you change? <laughs> Well, first, I make everybody take an IQ test, and everybody who's below I, who's below average, what do you call that? You have forced sterilization for them, so they can never multiply. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's not classist, but that's okay. <laughs> well, this, that's well, an, this, that's its own podcast. 
what that oh, statement yeah, you just yeah. said that that's its yeah. own five hour series yes. on dum dums. That really is. Well, the second would just be basically um, yeah to put to put everybody who's causing problems here, put them on a boat, and just make sure that they don't go back here anymore. Totally. There, there's a lot of them, and you know what? It's it's funny because we do know who the problem is here. We do know who makes the problems. We do know we know who starts the problems and everything. But you know they're just so entrenched and they're so powerful and uh, they're so scary to be with, to go against that people here just you know just say, you know fuck it just take it. it and, it's you know, like dynastic political power, right? Or dynastic power in general, right? Yes, uh, you know. So so people, you know, you know, people just decide. You know what? I'll just vote for this guy and just get get his money, and I'll just vote for this guy anyway. Because, you know, nothing's going to change. It's still going to be the same for me. Everybody's so used to politicians telling them the same thing over and over again. It's not like anything's going to change because of a politician. People have to know here in our country, well, in any country, wherever you are, that the politician will not make you rich, will not make you poor. You decide what's going to happen to yourself. Your choices, your actions, and every day your consistency about what you want to do, that's what makes you, not the politicians. And if they, the sooner they realize that, you know, the sooner the better. <laughs> and you know what's weird, Alvin? When I when when I started living out here, I learned that there's also a ton of bullshit that happens here in the U.S. I learned like, I dated Mexican girls. Like, oh, we have that social strata who the lighter skin versus the dark skin. You know, I I, I just want the Filipino people to understand. Like, dude, a lot of people praise us as a culture. You know, you know, we 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 could be. Not, I wouldn't go as far as calling us a superpower, but you know, we could definitely be on our own sovereign terms. But you know, I just I just hope you and I are still alive to witness a, a, a tremendous change. But uh, it, it's awesome that I get to speak to people like you, who's very proud. You could have lived everywhere. You stayed in Manila, Mark Striegel who is fucking Baguio or die, you know, he oh, just yeah. loves Baguio. You know what I'm saying? And uh, this is, this is a big honor and privilege for me, man. I mean, hopefully one of these I days when I go back to Manila, I get to train with you privately. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They'll set that up for sure. Right. And if you teach me the knife, I'm not going to stab like a fishball vendor just to test the techniques. Oh, yes, or, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do any of that. I'll be a good student of yours, bro. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> awesome, man. Big honor and Thank privilege, you, bro. And one of these days, Thank also, maybe we can grab much. some ramen at Malika. Oh, definitely. 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 <laughs> Sounds good, man. Uh, yeah. Thank you again, man. And uh, Thank this you is so a privilege much. on my end. My privilege as well. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you so brother. much. Thanks, brother. I'll send you the links to the network once we upload this. Okay. We'll do. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, brother. Talk Thank to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the show and please subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We're also available on your favorite directories aside from iTunes, such as Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V-E.com. And Believe Podcasts on social media. Now, if you want to get at me personally, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Plug12. That's P-L-U-G-O-N-E-T-W-O. 
hit me up and I'll read your questions or maybe even have you on the show. Believe in the fight game. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.